Hi, I'm Kelsey Harrison, and this is the Get Wild Podcast, where each episode we dig into ways to reclaim your most wild and authentic self. Welcome to the Get Wild Podcast. My name is Kelsey, and today I am here with Jackie Ayers. She is a youth development and outdoor education professional currently living in Mesa, Arizona with her girlfriend, Kristen, and their two dogs. She has a bachelor's degree in interpersonal communication from the University of Central Oklahoma, and she spent the majority of her 20s moving around the U.S. in search of healing and purpose. As an avid reader and self-help podcast junkie, environmental activist, and mental health advocate, Jackie attributes her ongoing eating disorder recovery to having a gratitude mindset, a a supportive network, and a strength to ask for help. Um, Jackie, why don't you go ahead and just add in anything else that I might have missed or, you know, include anything else about your life? Yeah, um, that's pretty much a good overview right now. I kind of um, went back and forth on what I wanted to include versus not include um, in that intro because I feel like I'm kind of in a transitional phase right now. Um, But yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. Loving Arizona. (laughs) What does the transitional phase look like for you right now? Well, COVID definitely threw a curveball as far as uh, my career aspirations up until, um, I would say, March of 2019. Um, I was definitely on the path of um, summer camp director was kind of my dream job, and I'm still very much interested in potentially doing that in the future. Um, but yeah, at the beginning of COVID, I had been offered a position as a director of a Girl Scout camp in Arizona, and I was stoked. It was like everything I had wanted in a, in a position, um, and then COVID happened, obviously, and they had to rescind the offer, and uh, I had been applying to jobs for months leading up to this offer, um, and I had a lot of interviews, uh, and so I was obviously discouraged, um, which I was not alone in that. Um, quite a few people have had to rethink their lives because of COVID. Um, but I took that opportunity and really kind of evaluated what I wanted out of life, what I uh, wanted in my immediate versus long-term future. Um, and I knew that my um, recovery was first and foremost, the most important thing to me. Uh, it's still pretty new at that time. Um, so I looked for uh, supportive people that I could surround myself with while I um, decided what my next steps might be. And so I'm still, I'm in a place right now that I love what I'm doing and I'm, I'm happy. Um, I'm nannying currently in Mesa. Um, I've been with the same family since November and they have one little boy. He's uh, going to be one next month. He was four months when I started. Um, and I accepted that job thinking it would be, you know, maybe something I could do for a year or so and and see where I was at. Um, And we're coming up, you know, on a year sooner than later. And I am just head over heels in love with this little boy. So uh, I plan on staying as long as they're willing to let me stay (laughs) at this point. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. COVID was a transitional time for a lot of people. And like you said, a lot of people's dreams were, you know, fell through or didn't turn out with the, how they thought. But I think in the end, 
life worked out exactly how it was supposed to, um, whether or not we saw it at the beginning during all of that. Um, and so you've mentioned your recovery and it was in your, in your bio as well. Um, and I would just love to hear a little background on that if you're welcome to sharing. Absolutely. Um, so my history with um, disordered eating, uh, eating disorder started as far back as I would say probably about 11 um, is when I developed sort of this fixation on being healthy. Uh, and I didn't really know what that meant. I just, it was kind of like a buzzword. You know, I had um, women and people in my life that, um, you know, were doing different diets or different exercise plans. And it was just this like concept that I thought I needed to be healthy too. Um, and so that sort of started me, you know, reevaluating my intake and, and my foods, what I was eating. Um, I decided I was going to be a vegetarian because that sounded healthy back then. Um, and it just sort of progressed to a point where I, by the time I was in sixth grade, I, um, developed bulimia. Um, and then it kind of ebbed and flowed. I would have periods um, where I was restricting, um, very heavily, or I was, um, exercising excessively. Um, and it wasn't until, uh, I was 14, actually, uh, the first time that a teacher kind of caught on to to some of my behaviors um, and brought that to my parents. Um, and that sort of started this like back and forth through my teens where I would almost negotiate with my parents and be like, oh, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal, whatever. Like, you know, they're just blowing it out of proportion. It's fine. I'll eat more and just kind of like placate them a little bit and, and get to a point where I would eat a little bit more and I would, um, my weight would not fluctuate quite as much. And then um, something big or traumatic would happen and I would revert back to those kind of coping mechanisms. Um, and so it's sort of ebbed and flowed. There are periods in my teens where um, it got really scary. I was uh, hospitalized when I was um, senior. Um, and at that point I had severe dehydration, um, an electrolyte imbalance. Um, I was there for a couple of days getting fluids and different things and, um, but it wasn't, and, and so this kind of continued, um, to make a long story short, um, these periods where I would, you know, say I apologize and feel guilty and almost shameful that I got caught kind of like my secret was out in a way. Um, and so I would try to like, um, get better on my own or at least make it seem like I was better to everyone around me. I was really good at, at hiding and masking a lot of what was going on at the time. Um, and so, so yeah, it wasn't until I was um, 20, what was it, 27, that um, I got to a point where I just was so tired of being sick. And um, I was working full time um, in Virginia and um, I was working for a camp and I, um, at that point, my, um, I was struggling more with binging and purging and, um, I, I noticed for me in vacillating between those extremes of, you know, either more binging and purging or extreme restriction and over-exercising, uh, between those two, 
I always felt the most um, worn out and, and sick and just like I couldn't go on when I was binging and purging versus when I was restricting. It's kind of interesting um, how it worked out that way. But what's unfortunate in the sense is um, I was I went to my boss and I told them, you know, this is what's going on. Um, and I, like I said, I'd been good at hiding it for so long. It did kind of take them by surprise. Um, and that was the first time that I entered a residential treatment for an eating disorder. Um, and so that was 2018. Um, and I'm trying to make sure I have my numbers right in my head. <laughs> um, 2018. And uh, I spent a month, um, at a residential place called Carolina House in South Carolina, um, or North Carolina. And um, what was unfortunate about that is anyone who's kind of been down this path where they've um, been vulnerable enough to, to say that they need help and they've reached out and they've tried to rely on insurance companies to um, provide them with the the help that you think that you're paying your insurance company for, right? Um, you know, you're like, I'm sick. I, I can't function. I can't do my job. Um, and they just start playing a numbers game from the get-go. So they're like, oh, what is your weight? What is the BMI? What is the, um, what's the, the doctor charts? What are all those same things? Um, and it's a very black and white kind of game where they're not looking at the mental health aspect of it. They're looking at the physical body. Um, and so what I experienced in that time was a fight from day one trying to get insurance coverage um, at that level of care. Um, and so every day or two, I was talking to my therapist and she was like, we're fighting with your insurance again today. We're, we're, we're going to see um, another few days. And so at that time, I really felt like I was able to settle into the recovery process, if that makes sense, because I... I was just, I just thought I was going to be leaving and I was so scared because I was like, I, I'm not ready. I knew I wasn't ready. Like I had spent, you know, 15 years, however long, um, struggling with this or I guess 12 years at that time. And uh, I, I thought I was going to get booted to the door at any time. Um, and what that message, how it kind of relayed to me or how it imprinted in my brain was that I, I wasn't sick enough to deserve that level of care. Like I, um, like I and deserving is even like a weird way of phrasing it but like I was just like I was telling myself like oh you're being too dramatic like you don't really have an eating disorder like I, I didn't even call it what it was um until like two years ago I was just like oh no I'm just you know particular I don't have these like food issues or whatever um because I just I wasn't you know at the lowest end of the weight spectrum wasn't um I didn't have certain I wasn't taking off certain boxes that you kind of the media sort of portrays as what a typical anorexic would look like or, or whatever um and that was just reinforcing it hearing that from my insurance that like oh well your BMI is this number so you, you're you're obviously healthy enough to get a lower level of care when the reality was I was having like four or five panic attacks a day and I couldn't keep food down and like all this stuff. So it's like very conflicting messages when you're finally willing to like get the help that you, people in your life are telling you that you need and you, you know, deep down that you need. Um, and then to basically be told, yeah, well, we don't think you're sick enough by your insurance company was hard. 
Um, and so I ended up leaving after like 28 days is when my insurance said I was healed or I could move on to the next level, even though my whole treatment team was saying, no, no, like she needs to stay here. We wrote appeal letters. We did the whole thing. Um, and I felt really defeated in leaving. Um, and then I proceeded to unfortunately struggle for um, another year and a half, almost uh, two years before, um, again, that like pendulum swing of I was binging and purging primarily in Virginia. And then I um, started restricting more and more and um, over exercising. And I got to the point where I was um, living in New York at the time. And my uh, director and assistant director and HR director had like an intervention with me. Um, I, I walked in. Um, and it was from a totally like well-meaning place and all of that. And like looking back, I'm so, so, so grateful that that was the experience that we had. Um, but again, I, I thought that I was doing so well at kind of keeping it my secret. And um, at that point I was telling, you know, I was like, oh, I'm vegan. Um, so I was kind of using that as a way to um, sort of curtail any uh, gossip of like, you know, or whatever, just just trying to like kind of hide behind um, whatever lie I could use um, when I knew again deep down that I was I was spiraling, um, but I wasn't willing wasn't willing to admit that to myself until it was really put into my face. Where uh, they sat me down and they were like, "We are concerned, and we want you to get healthy." Um, and we want you to take FMLA um, and use this time. So FMLA, um, I can't remember the acronym off the top of my head right now, um, but it's a, a 16 week program that you can use. Um, and it basically, it's like the government, um, it's like a government program that will secure your job for you. So if you have to leave for any kind of, it's family medical leave act, that's what it is. <laughs> Um, so if you have to leave for a family emergency or medical emergency, um, it's just kind of a way that you can keep your health insurance um, and you have a job to come back to essentially after you take the time to to get better. Um, and so I, that was a Monday morning. I walked in um, and I walked out and I, after like 30 minutes, and I was like, okay, this is happening. Um and I, living in New York, I wasn't around any of my, my support network, my people, most of my family and friends are in Oklahoma. Um, I have some in Texas and a couple in Virginia. Um, so I reached out to my tribe, my like closest group of um, gal pals and just kind of like lost it and, and just told them everything, told them what was happening, um, knowing full well that I was in a really bad headspace and physical health space and everything. Um, and so it was kind of a team effort, but we all like decided that I needed to at least get to um, safe safety, basically get, get close to my people and find a, a safe place to land while we could figure out the next steps. Um, so I packed up my car and I, um, 
drove uh, it was about five hours I think or so to my friends um, in Virginia um, and they were incredible absolutely incredible they um, at that point like I, I think I was just kind of shell-shocked at everything that's happening I um, was so anxious um, that was like I think the main emotion that I felt when I was at the height of my anorexia was just like constant anxiety and, and uh, borderline fear. And so um, that was coursing through me and I um, was having a hard time making decisions and I was, you know, in the back of my mind still thinking about just running and, and not, you know, I just, I, I was not in a good place to make um, any of these choices by myself. So they, I'll never forget it. They helped pro con list and um, we started researching different places that I could go for treatment. Um, I, you know, voiced my fears about insurance and the coverage and what that would look like. And um, we just started the process. I had to get like a physical um, to be able to get admitted. And um, we ended up doing like a hospital visit at one point to emergency room visit early on just to like make sure my vitals were good. Um, and then I knew um, what was going to be most beneficial for me was a long-term program because having gone just for that 28 days um, before and like a short uh, outpatient program wasn't enough for me. And so that was kind of like one of the main stipulations was to find a place that um, was more long-term focused um, and that was holistic. Um, I, again, really resonated with the concept of full body healing, like mind, body, spirit. And um, I wanted to be in a setting that felt um, more peaceful and less clinical, if that makes sense. Um, I feel like when you get to like a higher level of care like that, oftentimes the setting might seem more sterile or hospital-like. And um, I for my own comfort and, and safety or not safety but like no comfort and um just like I think willingness to fully surrender I wanted to feel like I was in a comforting like homey environment um sorry I have to sip water I, I talk for so long I forget I need to like breathe and drink water <laughs> so yeah so all that to say we landed on the most incredible transformative place that I could have ever chosen or gone to. Um, and it's called Marisol, uh, which is Spanish for sunflower. Um, so it's in Tucson, Arizona, and they have um, uh, an adult residential program, a teen residential program, and then they have lower levels of care um, called PHP or partial hospitalization, um, which is like a step-down program. And then they have a step-down from that as well. And they're all in the Tucson area. Um, and I, so that was, I uh, got told on Monday, take 16 weeks off. And I was in Tucson by that Friday um, and embarked on the most healing, incredible, uh, life-changing necessary journey of my life up until this point for sure um, yeah 
Yeah. Wow. Well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing and for being so vulnerable and open about everything that you've gone through and overcome. So, you, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah. And there was just like so many, so many things, but like, it's, it, first of all, it like breaks my heart because it's so often done. It, like it happens to young girls, like at the age of 11, where, you know, society tells us we should do all of these healthy things for our bodies when they're not healthy at all. Right. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened. You got stuck on being healthy. And what happens is you are taking on these habits that are exactly the opposite of that. They're unhealthy and they're dangerous and they're built out of a place of trying to fit into some box that society tells us we should fit in. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I can actually remember, it's crazy. Um, There was a Lifetime movie that, and I I recently read um, Jonathan Van, my brain is exact, so you'll have to bear with me, but Jonathan Van Ness, um, he wrote uh, a memoir and I was listening to it on audiobook. I think it was last year. And he started talking about um, this Lifetime movie and I was like, oh my gosh, I've told like my closest friends this, but it, it like almost the exact same scenario for me. I saw this movie on Lifetime about this gymnast where I was in sixth grade and she um, developed bulimia and I had never heard about that in my life I had no, I didn't know what it was until I saw this movie and like I'm sure the movie was like by the end it was a negative thing and and I'm sure it ended in tears and hugging and getting her help but like I saw that movie and I was just like oh my gosh this is it like this is the secret that nobody has like how is everybody not doing this this is like this is the thing um but yeah, and I was I was a kid, and I and these movies are, you know, shown that still like you see it on Disney, not maybe to that extreme, but like you see these stories enacted, and you see um, social media and the filters and TikToks and all of this way of comparing and um, making girls feel like they and boys, you know, um, feel like they have to reach these unrealistic. Um, goals or be just like so-and-so on social media and have the opportunity to just figure out who they are first and embrace their own uniqueness. Um, Yeah, it's unfortunate. And it's unfortunate that's definitely ongoing. Yeah, it, it is. And it's just like, it's like you said, like the movie was probably not, not at all created to be like, Hey, you should, you should do this, but right. you know, like you, like you saw it as the secret. You saw it as the way, the the path to go. And you know, something has to change. Um, and I and I think hopefully, like it it today. I think that like social media is a little more real than it used to be. People are more vulnerable than they used to be. But it's still definitely like social media can it can help you or it can harm you. And it depends totally on, you know, the people you follow and what you allow in. And, um, but something has to be to make sure that, you know, these things don't happen. And if they do happen, then they don't go on for 
15 years. Like, and then on top of that, societally, like insurance failed you. <laughs> like yeah. failed you. You shouldn't, while you're healing and, and struggling to figure out, you know, how to fix yourself, not fix, but, you know, work on yourself and, and get to where you need to be. You shouldn't have to be worried about getting kicked out or fighting with your insurance or any of that. Like, it's insane. And it's such a common, like, I've heard variations of my story from so many different people. Um, and that it's, it's so common that they, it resonates the same way with them. That, oh, okay. So what you're telling me is, I need to lose more weight or I need to, my numbers need to be worse or I need to, I'm not worthy of the treatment that I thought I needed, you know? And that, that's really messes up, messes with you, especially when you're already in such like a, a low place. Um, it's, it's a reform that I know a lot of um, different psychologists and therapists and nutritionists um, are really lobbying and trying to get um, the language changed and diagnostic, even um, the diagnostic criteria, there's a big uh, sort of issue with labeling, I guess is the way to phrase it. Um, you have, like I said, there's bulimia, there's anorexia, there's binge eating disorder. Um, there's also atypical anorexia, which is like a phrase that's being thrown around right now. Um, and that's another label that like, Basically, what that means is you hit all of the criteria for anorexia, um, you know, extreme uh, re reduction in your intake, uh, fixation on weight loss, um, fixation on size, all these different things. But and you might have even had rapid weight loss, but your weight is still at a normal range. So again, it's basically saying like, oh, well, you haven't lost enough weight to be considered anorexic so we're going to call you atypical but they're finding that there are more people fitting this atypical phrase or this atypical diagnosis versus you know traditional so what that's telling us is it's like it doesn't matter the size it doesn't matter your physical body how much weight or not this is a, a mental uh, game that we're dealing with and we need to treat it as such that everybody's brain is different. Everyone's brain chemistry is different. Um, symptoms might be similar, but we can't look at that as a black and white, like diagnostic feature, yeah. I guess. Um, it, it is. My sister's a registered dietitian and, you know, she, we talk about, she talks about a lot of things like that. And even there's so much work with all of like the science based when it comes to food and health. Um, Cause it's like, even if, if I was to normally not, not currently while I'm 31 weeks pregnant, but <laughs> you know, type in my weight and my height, my BMI says that I am like overweight, almost obese because I'm normally weigh, I'm normally five, four and I weigh 150 and it's muscle. Like I'm strong and I know that, but when you look at those things, like it messes with anyone's head and it's so inaccurate. It's such an inaccurate scale to put people on. And once again, like being like, Oh, I weigh one 150 pounds when most 
you know, women, you should weigh 130, 125. And I, I haven't weighed 130 since I was like 11 years old or 10. And so it's like the, the scales are, are so incorrect and like it, it all needs to be changed. And like you said, like people are lobbying for it and they're trying to make changes. Um, but I think it's people telling their story like you are and sharing, you know, the reality of how they get there and, and what it all looks like and how to heal through it all. Um, that helps more than anything because it's hard to change what the textbooks say and what the internet says, and hopefully it will over time. But I think what's more important is like you sharing your story like you have and, um, and for that, I'm super grateful. And I know anyone listening who's possibly gone through something similar or seen it is as well. Um, and it, it sounds like one of the biggest, the biggest things for you was um, your support system that helped you through it, right? Because you asked for help and your insurance failed you. And so you fell right back into the same pattern to where you couldn't ask for help again. And your support system had to be there to, to hold you and to be your community, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I called them my tribe. I still do. Um, but they, because I was at like kind of a, a unique position because I, at this point, I was 28. Um, and I, I had, hadn't lived at home in, you know, 10 years. And I still had a and still do have a good relationship with my dad and my stepmom. Um, but in terms of my eating disorder, um, I had basically every time that they had offered an olive branch, I burned it with them, you know, like growing up, I was just like, no, no, no. I was a lot more adamant and mean about it. Um, and so at that time I felt like I, I felt like if I had come to my parents, it would have been almost like, too little too late and that and that was more my my un you know my unhealthy way of thinking at the time um so I reached out to my my closest friends and I was like this is this is what's going on this is where I'm at um and because they were my closest friends they they knew that this had been something I'd been struggling with for so so long um and most of them were just glad that I had finally gotten to a point where I was willing to say it out loud and willing to help no matter what that looked like, no matter the cost. Um, and they just started moving. Uh, my best friend, Amber, uh, is incredible. She's a licensed therapist in Oklahoma. And she she was just so instrumental. And she was actually one of the people that she did family therapy when we had family therapy sessions. Like she, she's my person. Um, and she even helped get a, I had a good fund me at the end because like I was getting to a point where I couldn't afford the treatment that I needed to continue doing. Uh, when I was like going down to the next level of care, the PHP level, uh, at that point you're responsible for buying groceries and learning um, how to basically re-enter a life with an eating disorder and without 24 seven monitoring. Um, and that I was completely spent at that point. I had no money left. And so she um, organized to go find me and just the whole way through um, was just incredible. And um, several of my other friends, I didn't ask all of them if I could use their names. So I don't want to like blast them on here. 
Um, but I know Amber won't care. Uh, but yeah, those those five ladies were just absolutely wonderful um, in helping get where I could even talk to my parents again and tell them what was going on. And, and I didn't tell uh, my parents, God bless them, what was happening until I had already been in treatment for three weeks. Um, I was just so scared of what the reaction might be. Um, and so when I finally did, they were on board and, and started doing family therapy with me too. And um, I was able to, to finally like take that big, like let that breath out. Like I feel like I've been holding my breath for so long and, and living almost like this double life in a way. Um, and so I was finally able to just like be fully vulnerable and, and say like, this is where I'm at and this isn't where I want to be anymore. And I'm willing to take whatever help I'm being offered right now um, to to heal and to to be the best version of myself that I know is in there. Um, and I am happy to say that here we are almost exactly two years later. I, I think I left um, PHP like July 7th, 6th or 7th of oh. 2019. So we're like super close to a two-year anniversary here. Um, and I am absolutely thriving when it comes to my um my eating disorder I consider myself in full uh recovery mode I, I don't want to ever say like fully recovered um because there are definitely thoughts that I still have to combat um and I have to kind of realign my thinking from time to time but it's kind of where I was for so long um and where I am now it's it's night and day. Um, I just have like this big, like huge smile on my face right now. Like I just, I'm so, so grateful um, for my continued recovery and, and how much life has rewarded me for it too. Like I, I truly believe that um, by accepting this huge gift or recovery, like I, I also don't want to, um, I want to acknowledge the fact that like not everybody gets the opportunity to, um, go to treatment or to get the treatment that they they need and deserve. Um, and so I'm I'm so so grateful for um, my privilege in that way that I was able to um, go to treatment for almost four months and um, just totally recalibrate my way of thinking um, and my way of uh, thinking about myself and food. And um, I'm just so grateful that I'm still chugging along and that I've found the freedom that I have. Um, but all that to say, I, I truly believe that it enabled me to kind of um, raise my vibration and um, allow more positive, happy things into my life. Like I feel like my eating disorder was a way of just like battening down the hatches. Shutters closed, the doors locked, like I wasn't letting anybody in. I wasn't sharing myself with anybody else. Um, it was like a, just this cold place. And I feel like you know, now I'm, I'm just wide open. And because of that, um, I was able to meet Kristen, uh, my girlfriend. And um, I truly believe that she is the person that my soul has been looking for for 30 years, um, whether I knew it or not. And um, it led me to this beautiful place where we are experiencing life together. And um, it's beautiful. And I, I don't know that I wouldn't have been able to receive that love or give that love um, had it not been for the recovery that I was able to, to receive.
you I'm like tearing up and also smiling massively because you can hear it in your voice like how the gratitude and appreciation and and, and like you said like you opened yourself up and the universe gave back to you for that and you know I think that speaks to anyone anywhere going through anything that feels heavy and dark and deep to know that there is light on the other side and that more than that more than just the light on the other side there is abundance and there is like you know your who your soul has been looking for for the last 30 years and this beautiful life and I just yeah it's it I'm like I'm emotional for you and, and excited for you and like it's a beautiful thing and it's so hard when you're in the depth of it especially for like 16 freaking years to see that there's any way out and then to be on the other side is such an impactful and powerful thing and yeah like i said like i can i can hear it in your voice i can hear the the joy the gratitude the the light all of it um and yeah, thank you, thank you for sharing and for for all of it. It's a inspirational story. It's also like, you know, life is hard and that's okay. And also, we get to enjoy it at the same time on the back end. Yes, um, absolutely. I love that you use the word um, that there's abundance on the other side because my like affirmation um, for a long time was. My life is filled with love, joy, and abundance. <laughs> Sorry. And um, even though at that time they weren't, you know, I was I was trying to speak it into existence. <clears throat> and I I truly believe that that is where I'm at now. That my life is filled with love, joy, and abundance when it it wasn't two years ago, um, and it didn't feel that way. Um, and I honestly felt like I was beyond hope like I I thought that I had done so much physical damage to my body that by the time I went to treatment I was like well it's probably too late but here I am you know um so I, I hope that that resonates with with other people too that they're like you know they might hear my story and be like oh well that sounds great to her but like I truly came from a place where I didn't know that I'd be able to recover I didn't think it was possible for me to reset my brain, to reset my body, um, and to allow love in. And, um, and here I am. <laughs> so it can, it can be done. You just have to, you have to be willing to be vulnerable and, um, accept help and, um, ask for help and, and surround yourself with people who are going to lift you up always, um, is huge for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And just to start to wrap it up, um, although I'm like, there's so many more directions we can go with this. We'll probably have to do a podcast round two. Um, but, <laughs> um, what, what is one like nugget this is how I wrap up every podcast, one nugget, one, something sitting on your heart, just to leave anyone listening who might be resonating with what you're saying, just something to leave them with. Ooh, that is a good one. I think I think the most important thing 
to remember is no matter how dark and stuck and broken and hopeless your situation might feel um, or you might feel as a person, um, hanging on to the hope that there are people out there that, I don't know how I want to phrase this. Um, holding, I, I, it's okay. Whatever's on your heart. I'm just, I'm blanking. I, I, we got so far. I, I, Okay, can I give you somebody else's quote? Because th that's actually Absolutely. what's on the quote. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, um, so one of my heroes is Jen Sincero. And um, she wrote, you are a badass. And like, I just keep like circling back. I'm like, I want to say this, but it's not really my words. Um, uh, but in her book, she says, whatever happens, stay the course. Because there's nothing cooler than watching your entire reality shift into one that is the perfect expression of you. And that I just, is, I love it. <laughs> that's one of I, uh, uh, one of my favorite books. I've, I don't reread books, and I've read that one three times. And I love that quote as well. And I think it sums up exactly what you were trying to say. And there's nothing wrong with that. And um, I think it's so true. Just stay the course. It's very cool to see ourselves transform into who we're supposed to be. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your very impactful story. Um, and uh, yeah, if anyone wants to connect with you or maybe chat with you, if they're in a space where they need that support, um, do you have what's your Instagram or an email? And I'll put it in your um, in the show notes as well. Yeah, absolutely. I would love it. Um, my Instagram is uh, Jackin underscore around. So like Jackin around. Um, and then, yeah, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. Um, that'd be great. I'd love it. Cool. Well, Jackie, thank you so much again, seriously, for all of your vulnerability and yeah, I hope somebody got something out of this. Me I'm sure too. They That's my goal. You know, if I can just help or resonate with one person, um, it was worth it. Y'all, thank you so much for tuning in to the Get Wild podcast. Once again, my name is Kelsey. Please feel free to reach out with any feedback or reviews or any input that you have. Also, I would love to have you on a retreat in 2021. You can join me in California, Tulum, or Asheville. Just head to my website at getwildkelsey.com for more information. And I look forward to connecting with you and hopefully seeing you on a future yoga retreat. <laughs>